Sullivan testing the Portuguese. You know, I like to be fit and healthy, so the best way I know is to just get out there and run. Running was an outlet for me to, I guess, feel good about myself and, and take out some of the angers that were going on in my life. Sonny O'Sullivan is going to take the world title back to Ireland. One of the keys to, like, maintaining your brain mass is pushing past that comfortable zone physically, you know, exercise-wise. Imagine you know, a world where everybody could go out the door and engage in the kind of exercise that's going to make them more relaxed, more healthy, burn off stress. Hello and welcome to another episode of An Irishman Running Abroad with me, Jarrett Regan, an Irish athletics legend, Sonia O'Sullivan in Australia, in the newly locked down Australia. Didn't see that one coming, did you, Sonia? No, well, it's actually, it's just the state of Victoria is locked down, right. um, which is which is encompasses quite a large area, not just Melbourne, you know, which seems to be where it's affected most um, linked to the hotel quarantine, which gets an awful rap here. Mm. But yeah, we've had a they call it a snap lockdown, which is five days. And I think we're now on day three at the moment and we're hoping to be released on Wednesday. Oh. And it basically just, you know, it's one of those things where you have four reasons to leave your home. Thankfully, one of those is exercise and we're allowed out for two hours a day. I can tell you right now, uh, the sounds of Irish and English people groaning with the, oh, Lord, that's not a lockdown. Uh, this is a bit like when Americans say, oh, my God, the rain is so bad. Like, you've no idea what rain is. Sonia, you've no idea what we've been living through here. A five day lockdown. That's the dream. Oh, my God. Being able to go out and about and just have five days off basically uh, this is the whole thing is a, to break it's a circuit breaker is what they're calling it but what brought this about what did they have a few infections or something yeah there was kind of like three or four infections and they grew quickly to 12 i think mm. and then maybe 14 and yeah all the different contacts and tracing and what always amazes me is these people who test positive the amount of places that they actually visit <laughs> It's unbelievable because they list off all the places, you know, hotspots. If you've been here or there or wherever. Mm. And there's a a list like as long as your arm and busy places like they go to restaurants, um, shopping centers. It's amazing. And, um, you know, I often think, you know, why can't I test positive? You know, I don't go very many places. (laughs) I don't meet many people. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. We could shut this thing down very quick. <laughs> yeah, why is it never a boring person? Why is it never somebody who's a complete hermit? I'm not saying you're a boring person, but I certainly am a boring person. I literally go nowhere. We don't do anything. But Tina and I are in group six here and uh, we are literally by the phone waiting for the call. Uh, 15 million people in the UK uh, vaccinated now and they're moving into stage two of the vaccination process. So it's it's all moving along. But honestly, the 
the exercises what's keeping us all sane and I get so many messages from our Strava group and so many messages to Podcast at gmail.com saying how grateful people are for the episode Sonia and a lot of people very excited about the next challenge within the Irishman Running Abroad Challenge for Jigsaw.ie. Now, you've devised this one. I feel like we should have a musical sting of U2 elevation here. But this is this is a quite a, a nuanced, long form challenge. And then we're going to have a couple of one day events within it. Maybe you should explain. Yeah, well, I think it is, it's going to get us through Lent, which is a big block of time. You know, mm. we're starting. We've got um, Pancake Tuesday today. And then we'll have uh, Ash Wednesday and then it's there's a full six weeks to Easter. So I always find with these things that when you look ahead, it seems like a long time. But when you get there and you look back, it seems like it flew by. So I think we need to take advantage of this. And the elevation challenge, I think it's an opportunity for everybody to have a look at their Strava and check out how much elevation they gain in a week. And, you know, you can look back over a few weeks and see, you know, which were your good weeks and work out a kind of an average and then maybe think about, you know, possible ways of increasing that. And I think if we're more conscious and aware of the hills that we're running over the next few weeks, we will be working on our strength. And, you know, it's just another another form of running that's mm. beneficial you know rather you know we we always think about you know how fast we're running and the heart rate is another measure but running up hills is it's a really good tool to build strength and you might re- realize that you're a little bit weak and i often found when i started doing hills when i just start back training after having a break it'd be, it'd be really hard work and then i would do a little bit of arm um, weights. So, I mean, starting off with simple things like push-ups and dips. Hmm. And if I did that regularly, like three three sets of 30, three times a week, all of a sudden I could actually run up the hills better. Okay. And I don't know if this was just okay. something that I, because I did it, I believed I was doing something to help myself, but it actually was using my arms to help me to get up the hill. And when you think about that, maybe you think take a bit of the pain and the hard work on your legs away and you, you know, you take a bit of it into your arms. And and you do find if you do a really good hill session that, you know, your arms will get sore and tired. But this isn't all about running fast up hills. This session or this challenge of elevation is just to kind of get in as much hill running as possible at lots of different paces. So include hills in your easy runs, maybe have some hill sessions in there where you do repeat hills. Maybe some people will have to do repeat hills if they live in a flat area and you Mm. have to find some, you know, slope up from a car park or, you know, some artificial hill to run up. But, you know, I think it's a interesting challenge um, for people to look around and see where they can find a hill in their local area that they can use to to benefit themselves absolutely over the next few weeks and then once we've built up a lot of hill strength and you know improvement in our ability to run up hills then i think the last week before easter we should really go for it and see how much 
elevation you can gain in a week. In one week, and, yes. You know, so, this, so this is the yeah, thing. Let me stop you there for one sec because the, the temptation here uh, among particularly the kind of, you know, the macho runner, male or female, is I'm going to see how many how many hills I can go up this week. And that's really not the challenge, is it? The, the, the deal here is to gradually increase the amount of height you gain in each, each week with a view to this final week before Easter Sunday and really giving it socks and seeing how high you can get up in that one week, right? Exactly, that's it. And I think we'll we'll have a look around and we'll look for some landmarks, you know, that measure these heights and see what you can climb in that final week. Mm. Like I, I had a look back there now last week. I mean, I had a fairly flat week. I only read 142 metres. And it, it's hard to visualise what that is in running terms over a long distance. But then I went back a few weeks and I had run 669 metres one week. So when I see that, I kind of think, uh, well, there's definitely room for improvement there to, you know, even out a little bit more and try and, you know, average out about 500 per week and then gradually increase. And maybe that final week, you know, then really look for hills and try and get up to a thousand metres. Yeah, I'm just looking at our leaderboard here in this uh, Irishman Running Abroad Running Club on Strava. And uh, that, you know, some of the heights that people are so the measurements are distance, total running time and then climbing. And uh, I think Eileen climbed 2000. That couldn't be possible in one week. It is. I know. I know who Eileen is. (laughs) Eileen? If it's the same Eileen, is it Eileen Gomez? Yes, (laughs) it's the one. I have her name down here and not because of the elevation, but what's got me interested in Eileen is that she lives in Gibraltar oh, and wow. she does laps of Gibraltar. And then I had a quick look in to check her runs and she does these, I think it's about 22 kilometers for a lap of the island. Is it an island? Or? Uh, yeah, yeah. The rock. It, it is an island, is it? Yeah. yeah. The rock of Gibraltar. Yeah, mm-hmm. I have, I've actually been there one time in the airport. On my way to Marrakesh in 1998, we had a stop over there, but it was in the dark. It was pitch black, so I saw nothing. Only you could just about make out the rock. But yeah, I was curious about Eileen and Gibraltar because it's one of those kind of, I suppose, landmark places that we've all heard of, but Mm. maybe not been to or even know anything about it. But it looks like it's pretty hilly and she does lots of laps. So, yeah, that is interesting. I didn't check her elevation now. That's good. So, yeah, shout out to Eileen. And uh, yeah, she's a, a strong content tender there to be top of our uh, elevation leaderboard without too much effort. Well, our guest today is, of course, Aoife Cook, and she is routinely top of the leaderboard in the Irishman running abroad group there. You don't necessarily have to be a member of the group. And I know loads of people listening aren't. But uh, if you do come in, it is worth bearing in mind just how anti-competitive the whole thing is and how helpful I've found it just to have that community and the kind of everybody pushing everybody on and wishing each other well. There's no cynicism or negativity in there. And that's pretty rare online. So within this elevation challenge across the 60 or the six weeks, as you say, we'll have two events a St. Patrick's Day event and a Mother's Day event. Mother's Day falls on the 14th and obviously St. Patrick's is on the 17th. So we had said, Sonia, that uh, we're going to cut out treats and that you were saying that I wonder how fast I could go if I just 
tightened up my dietary restrictions see see what I could do is that going to be part of this or I guess it's optional we can't really be telling people no sweets you're not allowed to have sweets if you're taking part in the event (laughs) (laughs) no I think I think that's optional you know I mean it can be part of it I think um, what I've been trying to do and I had a few I had a practice week there before before Lent begins or the 40 days before Easter as I've been calling it in case there's some people out there who may not follow the Lenten restrictions. I saw some survey today if people would be giving up treats and whatnot. And uh, I think people feel like they've given up enough this yeah, year already. Yeah. yeah. So what I've been doing is I've tried to be good during the week, you know, and to have a very kind of healthy diet and think about it in, you know, uh, fuel and, you know, the food that you're eating is helping you to, I suppose, recover from different runs and be ready for the, the next day's run. And then on the weekend, have some treats and, uh, yeah, little things that I've been missing during the week. Mm. I that seems very tempted to go for it full, full, full force because I, I don't know. Lent always, as a child, always seemed so long. I mean, just the idea of 40 days and 40 nights without chocolate was like hell. Like, I remember not being able to conceptualize as a child the idea of 40 days and 40 nights and Lent just seemed so far in the distance and if I'm totally honest I think I did it once like I actually did Lent properly once as a child and I couldn't believe I'd done it first of all when I got my Easter eggs on uh, Easter Sunday but I also remember feeling slightly weak (laughs) Maybe that's my own imagination or if anybody else can identify with this. But, uh, you know, there wasn't, you know, we weren't inundated with loads of food at that time. And I definitely was relying on sugar a fair bit as a child. But I, I, part of me, Sonia, wants to really give it a go and really go, no, no sweets, no, no junk at all. Now, Tina has been in my ear going, you're not doing that to us. <laughs> so you have to be conscious <laughs> of the people you're living with uh, and how it might affect your mood. But I reckon a bit like um, fags or alcohol, there'll be, you know, there'll be a, a withdrawal period if you are relying on sugar too much. And then you'll probably even out. Like, would that be about right? Or am I, or am I taking a, is this a bad choice I'm going to regret next week? No, I think you're right. I think I had my practice week and I can see how, yeah, you see, you do get influenced by the people around you and the people you spend time with at home. Mm. <laughs> because if they're not in on the same thing as you, they're nearly waiting for you to have a treat break as well so that you can enjoy it together. Yeah, that's it. It's a social so thing. I think yeah, it really is a social thing. And I think particularly now because, you know, you're spending so much time with just your family mm. that sometimes you do need a little bit of a break. But I don't know, maybe you can all go in it together in, in different ways. And then, you know, I think having the challenges like the St. Patrick's Day Hopefully, I think that might be a 5K run and then the Mother's Day on the weekend, a 10K run. Mm. And so their challenges and we'll be going out there giving them a good hard run. And then maybe if they're a cheat day, then you earn the reward, don't you? Yeah, true enough. You, but you, you will think you're not, break, you're, you're not even going to have those days. Ah, uh, look, I'd it, have to take St. Patrick's Day. It'd be, it'd be unpatriotic. <laughs> <laughs> to do it. <laughs> uh, my only thing about the, if we are to do a 10k on Mother's Day 
is particularly if you're married or uh, you know, the, the, there is an aspect to that. Like I even felt guilty going out on the Christmas Day event. I sometimes feel like, but I guess you don't have to do it on the day itself. If you want to do the 10K and you're you're really celebrating your wife and her motherhood, then, you know, you do it the night before, whatever, the day after. Uh, but you need to honour that Mother's Day. Mothers need some celebration this Mother's Day, it's fair to say, especially those that have been homeschooling. I mean, A marathon is a challenge, Sonia, but this homeschooling, I mean, the government needs to pay the people (laughs) that have homeschooled these kids through this because the mental trauma (laughs) of of trying to get your child hurting, I say singular, but can you imagine doing it with more than one? My heart goes out to anybody that's been doing it. I'm the principal of the homeschool here at the Regan House. I'm upstairs if if shit hits the fan downstairs, I'll get a knock at the door and our one student will be coming in to explain what he's done. But uh, it, it's it, it's been a long old term. They're on half term now. And um, yeah, I really want to give a big shout out to anybody homeschooling and using their running as the as the little breakaway. So I will will I pop up both events, Sonia, the Mother's Day will be the 14th, a 10K. St. Patrick's Day, the 17th, will be like a 5K recovery. Does that sound good? Yeah, I think, you know, the St. Patrick's Day is like a midweek recovery run. And, you know, we might actually even do something else along the way to Hmm. get people to use these events as part of something else. Because I actually had a really fun weekend. Um, I organised an event with two clubs in Cove, Ballymore Cove Athletic Club and Cove Triathlon and then a local club here Mentone who I coach and we did an Ekaden marathon challenge so we had teams of six um, where people either ran 10k or 5k or 7.2k and the distance that each team covered added up to a marathon fantastic yeah this sounds great so people could do this yeah it was great it was really good fun doing it and um, you know we had a lot of you know banter between the teams and you know a little bit of competition but a lot of fun Mm. and then I was thinking afterwards this would be something for people to do individually like you could do my own personal Ekaden so you run a marathon and you pick one day of the six weeks leading up to Easter and on one day of each week you either do a 5k or a 10k or a 7.2k and you've eventually got to cover 42 2k which is a marathon but you're breaking it down and so you can put in a hard effort and then i think you know you could use these events like the same patrick's day 5k and mother's day 10k as a little bit extra motivation to get out there and to you know try and get a faster time and you put those times aside and then add them all up on easter sunday and see what you covered for the marathon distance yeah and, and broken broken down would really inspire you as well, especially if you're breaking it down that way to think, well, well, that that's actually within me to do something at that speed, even though there are breaks in between. But just when it adds up, it really would inspire you to think, well, maybe I can. Oh, it's great. And like we had our fastest team this weekend ran, I think it was two hours and 36 minutes, which is a good time. But when you think about, you know, some people who run a lot faster than that by themselves, and then you've got six people coming together to do this, you know, it just shows you that 
mammoth kind of effort it takes to run, you know, the world class times that people do. I had mm. Sinead on my team, Sinead Diver, and she ran 33 minutes for 10K. But our team all together, we ran 2.59. And, you know, she by herself, Sinead, she can run 224. <laughs> but when you look at that, you're kind of thinking, you know, that's mad. Um, but I think it put, it definitely puts in perspective for people, you know, what athletes can actually do and mm. then what you can do, you know, yourself as well. And, you know, it is a personal challenge, but it just shows you what you can do, you know, broken down and, you know, adding it all up. OK, well, look, I'll get those up right away. They'll be up there now if you're listening to this uh, on Tuesday, Pancake Tuesday. We'll have those events up there. Make sure to join them, spread the word, get a gang together and do it. I mean, if ever there's a need for motivation during this time, just any kind of distraction I'm finding a blessed relief. It's part of the reason why I created the Irish Man Abroad uh, Return of the Crack Comedy Club, which takes place every Friday night. I have a few free tickets for Irishman Running Abroad listeners. If you want to enter the raffle for that, just email me irishmanabroadpodcast at gmail.com and I pull a winner. Uh, this week, Ed McQuillan got to sit in the front row and we had unbelievable guests this week and such a good fun show. So a lot of people don't know how online comedy works, but basically it's over Zoom and then streamed to YouTube. Uh, there are you know, headline acts from Live at the Apollo and all these TV shows that come in and do it. I think Ardlo Hanlon is going to do one of the nights for us. And, uh, you know, it is just like an actual gig in your house. Sonia took part in one for a bit of it, came on for a bit of chat. You weren't doing 10 minutes of stand up, but it is a bit of crack. And uh, <laughs> it uh, it's just a lovely thing on a Friday night to take us out of this feeling of being alone. But Ed McQuillan was an absolute legend in the front row. So shout out to Ed McQuillan. Little, tiny little update, Sonia, before we go to Aoife on the injury, the extensor tendonitis. A massive thank you, I have to say, to everybody who got in touch, including Paddy Booth, a member of the running group, who sent across some ideas for strengthening the ankle and uh, just the, just incredible support from everybody but it appears like a, my main issue is a little bit of ankle impingement from all the years of spraining my ankles uh, or playing basketball and probably because of those basketball boots that were laced up so high at the time I don't have best range of motion in there so maybe Sonia on another episode we talk about this because apparently it's really common in men uh, that women have better range of motion in their ankles. You mentioned to me before we started the show the child's pose in yoga, which is a pose that my sister, who is a yoga teacher, will tell you. She had a good little laugh at how I simply couldn't do child's pose. Child's pose is the easiest pose that you can do in yoga. It's basically lying face down, kneeling, right? I can't do it. I You're supposed to be able to fall asleep. Yeah, I can't do it. Like It's meant to be the most relaxing pose. My ankles won't lay flat. They, they, they arch upwards. But you reckon, Sonia, if I keep attempting the child's pose, that I'll improve the range of motion in there? I think so. And, you know, you mentioned that you use a cushion, that roll, the mm. soft roll thing sometimes to try and do it. And I think, you know, it's it's always good with yoga and, you know, stretching like that to use the little assisted things that we can use to 
help us out. And then if you keep doing it regularly, not even for long amounts of time, but just regularly, you know, daily, you know, for a few minutes, I often find if I'm, you know, come back from a run and you just kind of fall into a few different stretches. And, you know, if I'm inside, I would do that child's pose, but it's one of those that you kind of do a few different stretches and it leads to it. Mm. And then you kind of think, oh, yeah, I must remember to do this more often because yeah. it is one of those things that the more you do it, the better you become. And I think your muscles and tendons and joints, they they do loosen out if you stretch them gradually and not over extend them too much in one go that, you know, you can't do it the next day or that you're sore when you stand up. But mm. you just go so far that you can tolerate it. And then you keep at it and just kind of nudging along a little bit every time. And because I'm the same way, I have one ankle that's much less flexible than the other. So I'm always a bit imbalanced when I try and do that child's pose. Mm. So I'm always trying to work away at it, trying to get them a bit more even. And um, yeah, I was a bit out of practice there now recently with the lack of kind of in-person yoga classes. But in the past couple of weeks now, I've started to try and do a small little routine myself. And I definitely feel it does help a bit to yeah. do that. It's yeah. just to remember to do it, you know, because oftentimes you come in after the run and you're straight into the shower and changed. And then you're before you know it, you're distracted and onto the next thing. Mm. Um, but just to take those few yeah. minutes, you know, either before or after the shower to, you know, loosen yourself out before you find yourself sitting down <laughs> back in the computer again. Absolutely. Our, our guest, Aoife Cook, is, of course, a trainer. And I think we planned on asking her loads of strength and conditioning questions. And then, as you'll hear uh, coming up now, we didn't actually get to them. So we'll have to have Aoife back as her journey to Tokyo continues. But this was a really fun chat, Sonia. And I know that you know quite a bit about Aoife. You wrote a brilliant piece in The Times on January 23rd, 2020, before the world went mad while she was out in Kenya on this uh, training camp. What must it be like, though? We never asked her this question. What must it be like for these athletes going to Tokyo? I mean, you must need that tunnel vision to focus on an Olympics, but the not knowing must be terrible. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely a lot of unknown out there, but there has also been a lot of athletics on recently, a lot of indoor athletics. Now, mm. you probably don't know about this because you're not in that inner circle, <laughs> but um, every like Saturday and Sunday morning here, I'm watching athletics on YouTube or, you know, Facebook Live or something like that. And there's a lot of athletes out there in America and in Europe and outdoor on the outdoor tracks here in Australia and they're all out there really going after the times and running, you know, as if it's an Olympic year. And, you know, because you often do see athletes in an Olympic year, they up the game a bit. They, you know, they've trained hard over the winter and they're really keen to get out there and test themselves and try and achieve Olympic standards. And a lot of athletes have been achieving them. A lot of Irish athletes running really well. A number of athletes qualified for the European Indoor Championships that are going to take place the first weekend in March. So it's pretty exciting, you know, to see events taking place, to see Irish athletes competing. A lot of um, girls, um, Nadia Power has been very competitive over 800 metres. Um, Shiafra Cleric Butner ran a personal best 409, 1500 on the weekend in Boston. 
and Sean Tobin and the Dublin Track Club have been cleaning up on the tracks in Europe over 3,000, 1,500 metres and 800 metres. So, yeah, there could be some exciting races coming up and hopefully some Irish Olympic qualifiers. And hopefully, you know, the more athletics live that we see, the more realistic it will be to have the Olympics in Mm. the summer. Well, uh, I would love to have more Irish athletes on the show so that we can all get behind them. Make sure to follow Aoife Cook on Strava. You know, these people, I'm sure you remember this, Sonia, they need support. They are very much living their life in their hermitage doing this thing. They've got their friends around them. But I'd imagine that just knowing that people are behind you and wishing you well, really must help. So do give her a follow on Strava and uh, reach out to her. I know she's on Twitter as well. And if there's another Irish athlete that you'd like to see on the show, uh, give us an email, irishmanabroadpodcast at gmail.com. Final shout out though, Sonia, to, uh, I want to get her name right, Elaine de Corsi, who sent a lovely email about having to stop running for, for t- in order to laugh at last week's episode about metals. It's <laughs> uh, the same way. I sometimes have to, like, I'm terrible because I always think, oh, we shouldn't laugh. But then sometimes I just think, let's just let's just laugh and go for it. But I'm glad that other people are finding it as funny as we did. The nettles thing, though, Sonia, it has to be said after that episode, I had any any uh, Irish mammy get in touch that I knew going, actually, the nettle soup, uh, the nettle, the nettle tea is fantastic for purifying the blood. I don't think they all talk like that, but a lot of them do. Um, apparently, loads of therapeutic qualities of nettles. And uh, uh, you then sent me an image going, no, this is legit. Have you had any contact with the nettle community since? Uh- not too many, no. <laughs> but, um, you know, I have seen a few comments floating around there about them. It's just probably a good thing it's winter, you know, and uh, the nettles are not so obvious in the winter. Or people are not running through them anywhere. They seem to be more of a spring and summertime thing. So, uh, yeah, look out for them now when the weather starts drying up. Well, we'll be back in a moment with Aoife Cook. And, of course, we'll talk to you next week. Keep the messages coming in to Podcast at gmail.com. And now, uh, in Enjoy the Aoife Cook conversation with myself and Sonia. So we're joined now by Aoife Cook, who members of our Strava group will know as the leader of our leaderboard literally every single week. Aoife Cook, of course, national marathon champion 2019. Uh, it is a pleasure to have you on the Irishman running abroad. Sonia's here as well. So a bit, bit of a chat with you today, we thought. How are you doing and have you already been out today? Uh, I'm doing good. Yeah, I was out there this morning, went out earlier, uh, faced the, the bitter cold weather here at the moment. But uh, nice to get out and uh, get a good start to the day anyway. So so you would uh, be well used to those kind of conditions. Sonia chickened out and headed off to Australia because she decided I don't like running in the cold anymore. But I see you wrapped up like uh, like bundled up sometimes out there running in those conditions. Would you like have you just developed a kind of a, a thick skin for that kind of weather or is it always hard for even someone who's running kind of 100 miles a week like you are? 
like I wouldn't say it's easy every day. There are mornings you wake up and you would rather stay in bed, but um, it's kind of gotten to the point where it's a kind of routine for me to you know it's, you know, I kind of feel lost if I skipped a session in the morning, <laughs> you know, I'd kind of like be a little bit all over the place all day knowing that, you know, I skipped this and I probably feel a bit guilty later on that day. So that's what kind of gets me out knowing that I'll have that guilt later if I don't. Is that a unifier, Sonia, for you too, that it, that uh, uh, when you're not doing it, that the it's the guilt that drives you out the door? Well, the, the guilt can get to you, but I think it, it does become part of what you do and it just you just kind of roll into it every morning. And I wonder, Aoife, do you, would you put your running gear out the night before? I would, or, yeah. I always have it there ready for the morning. So, you know, there's not much uh, that needs to be done other than put it on and get out the door. So in a way, I guess um, you kind of just do it before even thinking about it most days. Mm. You started you started running at the age of 11 at the running club in Ballancolig after your aunt uh, Mary Sweeney inspired you. And that obviously leads to the scholarship to Arkansas Tech. I, do, I know that it's, it's obviously if you're running the Times, you get offered the scholarship, but there must be more to it than that. And both of you can have this experience. What's it? What what does it take to get to that point? And was there any reluctance with you to go over there? Because it is so far away and it is like, it doesn't matter how recent it was, it is like going to the moon, moving your life to America and rolling the dice on a career in athletics at that age. Yeah, like it's, to be honest, it came to me by surprise, really. It wasn't something that I had been looking for actively and I suppose for me when I when I started out young you know I wouldn't have been you know I suppose you know super talented in that I was winning races straight off the bat and um, it did take a few years and it was kind of when I was 15 16 that that things kind of started just clicking I suppose and um, I did quite well at cross country at, at those ages and um, it was kind of then I suppose the the coach over in Arkansas Tech reached out to me he he sent me an email and it came to me by surprise I, I hadn't been you know looking to go on a scholarship to America per se um, but when I got that email kind of like it made sense to me I was like well you know if I want to do something with my running then then this would be a good thing to do you know mm. I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do other than running at the time you know kind of I suppose kind of college-wise going you know course-wise or what I wanted to do as a career when I was older or anything so it kind of made sense for me to do it and go over. Obviously, there was the daunting part of leaving family and friends and going over at a really young age. But um, I suppose it kind of excited me in a way, the kind of the unknown and, and starting something new as well. Mm. Well, Sonia, you obviously went to Villanova and that had the rich Irish tradition. There was no there's no real <laughs> Uh, Irish connection to Arkansas, uh, other than <laughs> Bill Clinton. I don't know if that's even a connection. But yeah. you, you, would you have both gone on a visit? Like Sonia, you definitely had a had a visit to Villanova, where you think oh, I could do this. This looks cool. Is that the same for both of you? Yeah, I I did a visit. Um, so I went went in nineteen eighty seven. So it was um, it was quite a bit different back then. And uh, I did. I went for a visit at Easter time the year, bef the, the few months before I went to America. Mm. And I think for me, it was something I wanted to do. You know, I just wanted to take the next step. And I felt like I had kind of 
saturated myself with everything I could do in Cove. Like I'd run all the routes and I'd done all the training session, you know, won all the races up to national senior. So it was kind of, okay, well, what do you do next now? And I had to go out there and put myself in amongst people who were better than me to try and make myself better. Mm. And your your situation, Aoife, when you went out to visit, uh, rather than it being, well, this is this is the next thing. It's much more of a sense of, well, is this is this doable? Did you do the visit? And what when was the first time you thought I can see myself here? Actually, I didn't. I just went straight no. over. Yeah, in in the August. Yeah, I didn't go over to visit beforehand or anything like that, which looking back now probably sounds pretty insane. I mean, your parents must have been like, okay, (laughs) you're you're going to America. I mean, we don't know where you're going. We don't even know what your dorm is like. To be honest, like I, when you're the guy, the coach emailed me, you know, saying he was from Arkansas Tech. Like I didn't really know where Arkansas was at all. I had to look it up afterwards, you know. So yeah, it was it was a brave move, I guess, at the time. All right. <laughs> and uh, obviously, it's a different. Again, it's it's a very different story to your story, Sonia, in that you have this uh, how how do i pronounce it osteopenia is is that the correct am i pronouncing that correctly yeah yeah osteopenia do you want to explain to people how this came about as an injury or a thing that you had and how it led to this seven years out of athletics yeah so osteopenia is basically low bone density um, so it wouldn't be as severe as osteoporosis, but it's kind of, you know, the, the, the step before that. So luckily it is reversible, whereas osteoporosis wouldn't be. Mm. So like really what I suppose would have caused it is lack of knowledge with regards to nutrition. I probably wasn't eating enough for the training I was doing or, or eating, you know, enough good food anyway for the training that I was doing. And, um, you know, kind of. Just, just not taking care of myself as much as I should have been for, for the level, um, you know, that I was trying to get to with the running. Mm. The weight was kind of just falling off. But, you know, you kind of see that as a good thing sometimes in running, you know, the, the, the less you weigh, the, the faster you can run. But that's only true to a certain extent. You know, you need you need energy to run as well. So um, I suppose it was just I, I kind of took that a little bit too far and you know, that the body just starts to break down. And, and as a result, I, I got this osteopenia, which um, caused stress fractures then. So, you know, which was kind of always stop, start then, um, you know, getting a stress fracture to take weeks off. And so it came to a point really that I just had to stop, you know, um, get the, the bone density sorted before I kind of got back to any kind of running with, with any intensity again. I mean, it's, extraordinary like Sonia I'm sure you're you know uh, amazed by this too when you read the story and you go for so many people and I know this from and I know I always bring it back to basketball but but that's the <laughs> sport that I have followed all my life that if somebody's in this scenario it's done it's like I'm sorry you're missing the best years the game's over now but you completely turn this on a sixpence and 
really you, your story is about like it's it's movie like it's like and then people must have been writing you off. But instead, at the end of this seven year period of getting yourself right, you come back. I mean, that's Rocky stuff. What brings about <laughs> what brings about that change? And at any point during that seven years, did you start to really agree that this this isn't going to happen? I won't I won't be back doing this. Yeah, absolutely. There are definitely points where, you know, I did think, look, there's there's nothing, you know, I'm done, you know. Um, I was able to at a point, you know, after a couple of years that I could I could run, you know, but um, just kind of easy running, you know, kind of low intensity running, no kind of training that, you know, would, would get me to, you know, a level um, that I kind of wanted to get to really. But I did kind of just run a little bit for fitness um, at the time. And I suppose, yeah, I, I had in a way written myself off for a while. I probably could have gone back after five years, you know, but it was just that in my head. I kind of thought I'm 25 now, you know, is there a point, you know, is it will, you know, will I ever get to a level that, that I would like to get to? But I suppose like, you know, in my head, that was what I was thinking. But looking now, you know, you, you see a lot of athletes that are um, a lot older than 25 anyway <laughs> and, um, you know, doing really, really well. And I suppose I started to see that. And it was when I was 27 then I just said, look, I'm going to go back Um I didn't have any any huge plan in my head at the time as to what level I would get to, um, but I just went back training and, and I started doing really well on the on the local scene, I guess, doing kind of some road races locally in Cork. And there was a couple of races that I, I won and it kind of got me thinking, like, if I if I did, you know, really focus and, and you know, get some proper training in that, um, you know, I could do pretty well and I suppose it all kind of spiraled from there you know every little improvement just kind of um, spurred me on that little bit more to to see how much more I could improve and it's kind of just gone from there really. Man it's uh it's it's fabulous and it's just amazing to read the times like you know, your first marathon back is three hours 15 and to have taken 43 minutes of <laughs> that time is banana. Sonia can I ask you so much of the story so far with Aoife relates to the the mental side of things. And the, while there's a physical ailment here that caused the layoff, that actually getting your head straight is something we've talked about a lot on the show. It's so still so fundamental to running your best. Is that something that like the two of you can relate on and you you find yourself regularly talking to runners about? Well, I think, you know, traditionally there's a kind of a timeline for athletes. You know, you're a young athlete and then you're a teenage athlete and a senior athlete. And then it's kind of when are you going to retire? Mm. And that was kind of like the old style method of looking at things. So, you know, people were putting the thing in your head that, you know, once you got to, you know, past 30, you were looking at, you know, you're going to be retiring any day soon. And I think in recent years, people have kind of fought back against that. And they realized that, hang on a second, if I if I train smarter here now and if I mentally and, you know, it's the motivation to do stuff that drives, you know, the ability to, to train at the level that you need to and to be able to compete at such a high level as the years go on, because you're doing a lot of repetitive stuff over and over again mm. that. You know, if you can get that right, then you can extend your career for, you know, many years. And, you know, there's 
you know, some great athletes out there who are running now into their 40s and, you know, getting onto national teams and still running fast times and being competitive. And, you know, there was a time when masters runners for women was over 35, you know, men were over 40, but women were over 35, you know, (laughs) it's kind of, you know, it's, it's mad to even think that, that was, you know, what, how people were thinking. Whereas now, you know, women in the 40s are saying, hang on a second, no, I'm still a senior international athlete. I'm competing at the highest level. I don't want to be considered a master. And, you know, I think you have to, I suppose, appreciate that for, you know, it's it's all about the thinking around it and the planning. And I think a lot of it comes down to training smartly as well. Yeah. And, you know, you know, for someone like Aoife, I'm sure, um, when you have those missing years in your running career, you still you can get those years back later on because you haven't put your body through, you know, the intensity and the wear and tear that, you know, there's still spring in your step. There's still, you know, it's like you still have lubrication in the joints to be able to get out there and, and to run fast. Mm. Yeah, I mean, you, you didn't you obviously didn't have that seven all those miles on the clock that that seven years would have resulted in. So so in a way, Aoife, even if you don't make the Tokyo Olympics, you you potentially have another one in you. Yeah, yeah. Um, like I couldn't agree more with, with what Sonia said there. And I kind of look back now and I kind of think maybe that seven year break, you know, can work to my advantage now in the sense that I am fresher. I don't have the, the physical or the mental fatigue, you know, that comes with this, um, the training that that is needed, you know, kind of doing double day trainings, you know, most days. And, you know, I'm still hungry for it now. Whereas if I was kind of doing that training throughout that seven years, you know, I, I might be kind of ready to, to hang up my shoes at this point. But, um, for me now at the moment, I, you know, I feel like, you know, I'm 34 now. I feel like I, I can go to into my 40s, which would give me, you know, another, another eight to 10 years maybe where, yeah, you know, even if Tokyo doesn't pan out, then, you know, the next Olympics is there and, you know, potentially even the one after that. Amazing. Oh, my God. Like, it's uh, it's mad to think that that's how the game has changed. You changed your game, though. There was... There was a change in you uh, that I've heard you speak about. I can't remember what podcast it was on, but where you had a you had a bad result and you kind of just decided I'm going to change how I do this, that this isn't this isn't me. This isn't my best. And that precipitated this visit to Kenya. Now, you've obviously talked about it quite a bit. One of the things you haven't talked about, and we still really want to talk about the experience. We even mentioned it last week on the show, how interested we were in learning about that time was the timing of it. You went just before Christmas. Now, was this to avoid having to buy presents for your family or or was there another reason to go at that particular time of year? Um, yeah, I mean, I suppose the way that I, I was thinking um, at the time, you know, I, I do kind of I work as a personal trainer and all of that as well. So kind of with taking time off work was was a factor, I suppose. So I kind of went during the Christmas period because, you know, I would have been taking those two weeks off anyway. So mm. and then I was able to take just the four extra weeks after that to um you know, kind of get a good solid block of six weeks. I think it would have been a bit of a waste to go for anything less, really. 
So that's kind of the way I was thinking when I was uh, when I was planning it. How gutting was it, though, to arrive there and, you know, immediately start running slower because of the altitude? Um, yeah, it was it was a bit of a humbling experience, I guess. You know, I know like people people told me before I went over, like you know, it is harder at altitude. But like in my head, it was like, how much harder can it be? You know? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, but you get there then, and and yeah, it's like you know, I I kind of started my run out at my my normal pace, and then like two miles in, I was like gasping for air. It was like Jesus, this is <laughs> this is tough going, you know. And I remember there was a, a guy, um, a Kenyan guy who was kind of running with me, just kind of show me a few different routes and things like that. And he was running along with me. And I was just like, he was like showing me and he was like, OK, it's another about, you know, four miles to go. And I was like, God, I don't know if I can, <laughs> I can finish this, you know, but I just uh, I trundled on anyway at whatever slow pace I was going at and got there. So, yeah, it was it was a bit humbling at the beginning, um, but it's amazing um, kind of how, how your body does start to adapt um, when you're there for a period of time. Sonia's talked a couple of times, Stephanie, about the attitude of the Kenyan runners in London that you trained with and how, well, you tell us, like, what was like, what was it you first noticed about the Kenyans that you were training with? And then, Aoife, can you kind of tell us a little bit about exactly what the running way of life is there. So, Sonia, you, you first. I mean, you mentioned before that they don't think about they don't really think about much. They don't they're not really think, doing the the whole stress head thing that most of us tend to do. They're just. Yeah. I, yeah. I think the big thing is that they don't tend to beat themselves up over a bad run or a bad session. You know, they just kind of you know, okay, I've done that. Now I'll move on to the next one. <laughs> yeah, and it. put it aside, you know, they don't actually dwell on it. But, you know, then they meet up and have the chai tea afterwards and a chat and a laugh. And it's just the relaxed and enjoyment of, you know, being together. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, running is just part of what they do. And then when you get good at it, of course, you know, it becomes their whole life. But and it means so much more, you know, what they can earn from running and then bring back home to their families and everything. So I suppose they have that motivation as there. But I don't think that comes into the daily training or it didn't anyway back in the 90s. Um, you know, I used to train and run with athletes like Moses Kiptanui and William Tanui. And, you know, these were world champions. William was Olympic champion, world record holders. And you know, they never seem to have a bother in the world about them. They just turned up and ran the races and got the results. And, Amazing. you know, obviously did, did the training to get there, but there was no real stress about it. Whereas I think, and, and I'm sure now more than ever, many athletes analyze the training that they do so much more because there's so many more tools and gadgets that you can do this with, um, which is why some, I think it's very important to have those really easy runs where you're not focused on the pace that you're going and, you know, just getting that relaxation and, and remembering the feeling of running that, you know, got you into running in the first place and the love of running that people have. And I think you should never get too far away from that. So Aoife, like that obviously begins at the very ground up and you were seeing that firsthand over there. Can you see what Sonia is referring to there as just kind of being within the culture, kind of embedded in I hate using the term, but the DNA. Yeah, absolutely. Um, like where I was in E10, it was literally like a 
town of runners, you know, um, you, you'd wake up in the morning uh, to go for your run and you'd see like, you know, a group of maybe 30 Kenyans just all kind of jogging along together. They'd usually get up quite early, um, do their first run, go home, you know, chill out, <laughs> do not much, <laughs> not much at all, you know. So they and don't, they don't have jobs. Like a lot of them, what you said, won't have jobs. This is this is it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They just um, like they pretty much live, you know, hand to mouth, really. Um, you know, and and it's such a community atmosphere there. You know, people help each other out. You know, you know, if someone is is wanting, you know, someone else will provide. You know, it's it's really nice to mm. see it in that way. Like, you know, they they don't really worry about anything. You know, they they live with next to nothing, but they're they're happy out that way you know they don't need a lot you know they just <laughs> get up run chill out run again sleep you know and, and that's that's their way of life living the dream and, absolutely. Uh, absolutely and they kind of you know again don't worry about pace on a lot of their runs you know you see them like a lot of them probably run they could run nine minute mile you know for their their easy runs you know which is i suppose a learning thing for for people in Europe and in the States, because we, we, we can tend to take our recovery runs a little bit too hard sometimes, whereas it's really should be just about ticking over and, and just getting a few miles in no matter what the pace is. So um, the, the Kenyans really take that, um, <laughs> take that literally. Well, what about the, the hand to mouth thing and like what's in the hand when it goes to the mouth? I mean, I can't picture that the nutrition was fabulous out there or is that just my own cultural imperialism there uh, what is the diet like uh, that's the first question and the one that I'm dying to get to is when you come home does it feel like you went to x-men college and that you're able to beat the pants off everybody after that six weeks <laughs> yeah so um like I found it tough with regards to the food over there, to be honest. You know, it, there was a lot of like fruit and veg. The fruit and veg over there was amazing. They eat a lot of kind of rice and ugali, if, if you've heard of that, which is basically kind of flour and water. It doesn't have a whole lot of taste to it. <laughs> but um, apparently it's the Kenyan superfood, so I did try it. You know, kind of, I suppose, meat would have been a bit harder to come by. So I, you know, I was kind of warned about that before going over. So I did bring kind of um, kind of protein stuff with me just to, to kind of have that. Mm. So, yeah, it, it was kind of tough going with regards to that. And, and it, it did kind of, you know, intrigue me a little bit because, you know, it was exactly the same for, for the Kenyans over there. You know, um, it's kind of interesting to see like how basic their, their diet is and, and how, you know, which they can be at the running. Um, so that was really interesting. And yeah, so when I came home from, from Kenya, I did, I definitely did feel feel the benefit of the six weeks at altitude when I got back. Um, I did run a race the week after I came back in Dungarvan and I ran a PB for 10 miles. So it kind of did show that, um, that the altitude did work. And I think it, it lasts maybe a month, six weeks, you know, the, the benefits of it, um, maybe a bit longer, um, but like the main like benefit that you'll see would last that much. So I, I guess a lot of people will go over and then come back maybe a week or two before a big race and, and try and get the most benefit out of it. So I definitely had the experience during my days in basketball of doing pretty much the same kind of thing 
in the basketball sense in that you go to America and you see what boys your age are doing and they're like jumping over each other's heads and dunking the basketball with two hands and somebody goes that lad's only 12 <laughs> and you're like why what am I doing I'm wasting my time and feeling like I'll never I'll never ever achieve these heights did either of you ever have that experience of going well I mean I haven't been running this this way since birth the way these people have I'm I mean it's a Jimi Hendrix feeling what's the point playing the guitar if I'm never going to have that I'm so far behind or am I way off on this does it fill you with hope that you're like well I'm keeping up with these people and they you know they've been doing this all all their days what am I way off on this like I think uh yeah do you know it it is kind of sometimes you you see the kenyan runners and and the times that they're they're running and you're kind of like you know you know it's probably never going to happen for me and i suppose you know in a way it is in their genes and they're living at altitude all of the time so it's it's obviously going to be um a huge benefit to them but it's never turned me off in the sense that I, for me anyway, I just like to see my own improvement, you know, as long as I see that I'm improving and, um, you know, that that's that's a lot of motivation for me. I suppose when it comes to overall achievement, I, I would like to, you know, you know, do really well on the Irish scene and maybe, you know, get a few internationals under my belt. I do think I can get up there and, and be competitive, you know, among the the European and the and the Americans and maybe some of the Kenyans at some point, but um, you know it is kind of hugely more about personal personal achievement mm. at the end of the day. Yeah, I mean, Sonny, you're always drumming that into me that like you know comparing and doing all of that that that's the way that madness lies, and you you couldn't have said it more right than with everyone has so many gadgets to monitor their running that there is a, a kind of disappearance of the joy to for a lot of people. And so many people that I've talked to have been in touch with the show have said that they've fallen out of love with running for that reason, because of the very comparison that I've just referenced, that you're looking at other runners, whether it's seeing yourself, Aoife, at the top of the leaderboard and going, ah, what's the point? But really, when you return to yourself and your self-improvement, that that's when that's when the joy comes back. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, with stuff like that, I think you have to detach yourself, you know, from other people sometimes. And like as much as it's fun to kind of, you know, compare yourself or to look at what other people are doing, I think that's just a bit of a novelty to check things out every now and then. And I don't know, maybe I don't know if it's just me or but I've always find that, you know, I. I don't really pay that much attention. Like I have to remind myself sometimes to go and check up on people's training who I'm advising and coaching like yourself. <laughs> I have to, go Good to know. look for you. I, say, oh, yeah, I need to check up on Gerald. <laughs> How many days did I miss that this week? <laughs> I didn't give him kudos. <laughs> and just, to, you know, so it's not like I'm sitting there waiting for the training to come in mm. because with me, I, I like the idea of going for a run. I don't actually look at my watch too much while I'm out running unless it's a session or something specific. But for a normal run, I just run along and then, you know, just look at it at the end and then often just forget about it and maybe reminded of it later on in the day. And that's when you kind of go and you look around and see what maybe some of your friends have been doing. 
um, some of what your athletes have been doing. And, um, you know, you can go into a bit of a rabbit hole and get stuck there then, you know, mm. going deeper and deeper. But, um, you know, I try not to do that too often. But I think, you know, it's, you know, all the gadgets and the, I suppose, the the tools that we have now, they're, they're useful if you use them to your advantage and not to, you know, be stressed by it. We'd, we've spoken about this before where, you know, you can get bothered by what other people are doing. Yes, yeah, I think if you look anxiety, at other people, yeah, I think we called it. Yeah, as what they're doing, not what you're doing. And as long as you're improving and progressing and, you know, you're seeing the benefit of what you're doing, then, you know, it's it's a good idea. You just stay in your own lane. You know, mm. don't worry about everybody else and the other lanes and what they're up to. Yeah. Just stay in your own lane and, you know, just take it for what it is. Well, uh, Aoife, I loved hearing you talk about the perspective that COVID-19 has given people and that you hope that that perspective remains when it all passes. But you must have surely noticed more runners out on Irish roads during all of this as the gyms closed and as that side of your life became trickier. Yeah, definitely. You know, it's been great, you know, to see so many people taking up running over the past year, really. And, you know, I think, you know, with, with COVID, people have hugely um, focused a lot more on their own their own health and their fitness, you know, both mentally and, and physically, you know. And yeah, you know, it would be great to see that continue post-COVID. You know, I, I know things will probably start to get busier again. People will be going back to work and, you know, that that whole kind of way of life will, will start to creep in again. But, you know, I really do hope that people will kind of, you know, realise that, you know, you, you can't kind of keep going 100 miles per hour when it comes to, to work and everything and, and kind of focus a little bit more on their own their own selves, I guess. So, yeah, I guess that's one of the benefits of COVID. <laughs> well, let's uh, let's finish then on uh, a quick fire round that I, I think uh, I, I, I don't think I've asked you these questions either, Sonia. So maybe both of you can answer these because these are ones that I, I know people will want to know the answer to. So we've got five five quick ones here that, uh, you know, you can you can pass or whatever, but uh, it'd be great to know the answer. So I think I know Aoife's one because she posted on Instagram the other day. What is your number one cheat day treat? <laughs> so I usually have a takeaway on it on a Sunday night after my, my long run on the Sunday. So I, I do like um, a good burger. So last night I, I went to Son of a Bun and they have this chipper burger that I got. So um, so that was my ultimate treat. It looked insane. I have to say it made <laughs> me go, oh, my God, I wish I was in Ireland. <laughs> what about you, Sonia? And does your treat change from Australia to Ireland? Yeah, well, my treats change all the time. So um, I'm a bit of a saver. So if I if I buy a box of ice creams, I, you know, like. Uh, like not a magnum, but something like that, you know, yeah. um, then I, I like to save it up. And so I had one last night. It was but it was actually a gingerbread ice cream, you know, like a ice cream on a stick with chocolate over oh it. Oh, my God. Um, like a bright, proper ice cream. You know, I, I wouldn't have very many of these, but sometimes if you have one, you just savor it, you know, and it's like you're saving it up. <laughs> and in the moment is just right. <laughs> Some people out there pretty happy every day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I do hear that though. I actually was talking to somebody about this that that if you if you put it in a little box in the fridge, 
And it's just like that moment at the end of the day, it just tastes way better. Um, we talked about this last week on the show, Sonia. Uh, so we know what your favourite potions and elixirs and bams and insider tricks are. But Aoife, what what is the little gel cream or ointment that you've picked up over the years that you regard as your own little special magic potion for helping with the little niggly pains that running gives? Ooh, that's, uh, <laughs> I don't think there's any kind of ointment or potion that I, I use really that probably isn't isn't used already. I do like the Epsom salt baths. I like to jump into those maybe once a week. I find that they help quite a lot. Other than that, I don't have any any secrets, I'm afraid. Don't worry about it because Sonia gave us (laughs) a dozen, (laughs) including emu oil, which uh, was a new one for everyone. The third one is shoes. I know that you're both Nike people. Is there a particular shoe, though, over the year, and it doesn't have to be a running shoe, that both of you, regard as, oh, that was my favourite shoe ever. See, I ask this question because I'm such a sneakerhead that I know the top five shoes that I've loved <laughs> throughout my life. But I, I don't feel like you, you guys have the same grow for the sneakers themselves. Yeah, like, I mean, uh, off the top of my head, um, I have been using Brooks Ghost for kind of my, my easy recovery runs of the last year or so. And I, I find those really, really nice. They're they're like little cushions on my feet. So I've been using those last year. So I, I suppose off the top of my head, I'd have to go with that. And you, Sonia? Well, I'm very bad at the names of shoes. I'm more like the colour of the shoes. <laughs> but I'm... I'm often very reluctant to throw shoes out, you know, as much as they get worn out and everything. Mm. I'll have a few favourites, especially I save them for walking because, you know, running shoes, I do wear them out. But other shoes, I have some Nike running shoes, but I've turned them into walking shoes Mm. and I tend to save them. And yeah, I have a a good selection of them. So the the black and pink ones are my favourite at the moment (laughs) for going to the beach. I think there's some kind of... (laughs) Oh, I can't remember what they're called now, but they're, they're you know, they change the, the style of you every now and then. And then if you don't keep them, you kind of think, oh, I wish I held on to them. So I have a few like that that I held on to. And yeah, they're, they're just always comfortable to wear. Here's another quick side note question on the shoes. So do you keep if you have a difficulty throwing them out? Do you keep the ones from the big days like uh, Aoife, did you keep the ones from the Dublin City Marathon and go, right, those are going in a glass box somewhere. We won't wear them again. <laughs> no, no, I wouldn't be sentimental like that now, really. I, I kind of kept using them for, for training and racing for a while after Dublin, but um, I actually got rid of them there recently enough, probably in the last three months, I, I threw them out. So in the bin? <laughs> I in the bin? Oh, my God. Yeah, yeah. No way. (laughs) They were falling apart, so there was no need. (laughs) (laughs) Sonia, have you kept any? You kept any spikes? Yeah, I have lots of spikes, like lots and lots of spikes. (laughs) And it's at the point now where I can't throw them out. They're becoming retro. You know, I could nearly (laughs) sell a few of them in a few years time. But um, I do have my Olympic spikes and I have my world championship spikes. I have spikes from the World Cross Country in 1998. Oh, my God. And I have a few spikes that were kind of personalized with my name on that 
I never even got to wear because they were okay, but they weren't great. Um, but, you know, you still can't throw out a pair of shoes that have your name on them. Yeah, 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 and your they got, name stitched I, in the back. And Irish colours. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, John Terry, the Chelsea uh, footballer and kind of much maligned figure, used to wear four pairs of football boots for every game. One to warm up in, one for the first half, one for the second half and one for afterwards for cooling down. Apparently, it, he said it was it was superstition. But I'd imagine it was just because he wanted loads of, <laughs> loads of football boots. My fourth one, um, and we've only got two left. We all know what your favourite podcast is, but what's your favourite movie, like most rewatchable, the movie that you find yourself watching again and again and again? Um, oh, I'm really bad at that. I, I, I never watch movies again. <laughs> if I walk into a room and the movie's on and I've seen it before, I say, oh, I've seen that. <laughs> <laughs> I just don't watch them over and over again. Really? Um, I, can't, I can't think of any that I've watched more than once. Yeah. yeah. No, Aoife. I don't have any save. <laughs> um, I would normally be like that too. Um, but I do have a couple of exceptions, I suppose. Um, I do love the movie Goodwill Hunting. Um, oh, yeah. but I've seen that a few times. And um, Million Dollar Baby would be the other one that I uh, would go back to t- uh every now and again two excellent shouts Sonia you are missing out on the joy of the rewatch oh my god a rewatchable movie to me they're better than that was an amazing movie the movie that will stand up to the rewatch to me that's the one you're looking for what's your, your favourite oh, listen, I have so many but like I, I, like Goodwill Hunting is an excellent shout but I mean Shawshank Redemption you can that's a movie that you can go if it's on you go I'll watch it from, I can watch it from here again you can just it's like an amazing a, book you can just pick it up again read a chapter and go that was class you were going to say yeah no I have watched that a few times <laughs> okay. um, but, but not, not not purposely sat down and oh, I'm going to watch this now but I've walked in and it's been on the telly and I'm happy to sit there and join in and well, watch it again well uh, I kind of pushed Sonia to read um uh, what was it called? Born to Run, uh, the barefoot running book, Aoife. I haven't asked either of you what your favourite running book is, but I feel like the the running books are ones that you return to again and again. Uh, is that the case? Is there a running book for either of you that stands out? I would Aoife, you can take that. <laughs> yeah. um, I... I Red Running with the Kenyans. I, I I read that before going over to Kenya, which is which is a good read. Um, and I also read um, the Emil Zatopek book, which mm. I just I just quite enjoyed it. You know, I I don't know, like I don't think it wasn't like an autobiography or anything. So you know, you'd kind of wonder how you know how truthful it is or anything. But um, you know, it was just it was just a good read, really. Mm. And Sonia, you're trying to think of one. Yeah, I'm still thinking of it. I need my bookshelf here now and it's not here at the moment. Um, but I have read Running with the Kenyans as well and I really enjoyed that. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I mean, I again, I kind of like, I'm really bad. I read books and I enjoy them and then I forget them as soon as I put them down. I wonder That's why I keep them. I, I keep them in my bookshelf so I can go back and, oh yeah, I have that. I remember that. <laughs> I wonder, is there an argument, Sonia, for an Irishman running abroad 
book club episode once a month. If we assign a book to the uh, Strava group for everybody to listen to and read, it might be really good crack to do an episode where then at the end of the month or two months we go and uh, talk it over. Uh, would Eva? does that sound like something you'd be interested in listening to? And do you listen to podcasts on the run or are you more of a music person? I'm more of a music person on the run um, just because I kind of shut off. And I, I think, you know, I, I have tried listening to podcasts every now and again on a run, but I just don't really take them in when mm. I'm running. So I, I kind of do listen to podcasts every now and again when I'm just sitting at home, you know, maybe kind of doing a bit of work on the laptop and whatnot. I wouldn't be a huge podcast person. I have listened to a few of these episodes now, all right. <laughs> good, good. That's good. Yeah. Uh, and what about the book club, Sonia? Is that something you think you'd be up for? Uh, I think that's great. I love books and I love book recommendations. You know, it's one of my favourite things. Um, I'm reading one at the moment. I think I told you called Bear Town. Yeah. And it's about um, an ice hockey team in a small town in Canada. And um, I love my my uncle actually recommended this book to me, Jim Shealy, oh, about two years ago. And I bought it about two years ago. And I do this all the time. I buy the book and I carry it around with me. This book has been to America. It's been to <laughs> Ireland. It's been to London and back to Australia. And, and then I finally kind of get my head around reading it. Because sometimes when you pick up a book, the first page doesn't go in straight away. Well, it's very hard to yeah. go into it. And then but it. If you pick it up on a different day, it can sound like something totally different. Uh, should we make Bear Town our uh, our first uh, book of the uh, book club? I mean, it seems to have incredible reviews. Yeah, it's it's a very good book, and we can be guaranteed that you've read it. Yeah, I'll have read it by then. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a very slow. I'm a very slow reader. Yeah, me too. Me too. Unless, too, unless me it's too. A, unless it's a kind of a topical kind of book. Like I read that David Walsh one this summer about the Russian oh, yeah, affair. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, when it was something that I just wanted, it, I wanted all that information. So I just sat down. And I couldn't stop reading it, and everything else was on hold. Mm. So I love when I get books like that as well. But they're generally kind of factual books that you know, they're kind of eye opening and you just can't believe what you're reading that you've got to get on to. You can't put it down. That was um, an extraordinary book. And I actually had David Walsh on the main podcast to talk about that. He's done the show a couple of times and uh, that's one that I definitely recommend. If you are looking for recommendations, the only place to go is the Irishman Abroad selection box where Ethna Shorthall recommends books. Rory Cashin and Owen Doherty do TV and cinema. Uh, Una Minkavna talks about tech and the legend Tom Dunn tells you what music you should be listening to. So now we're going to add the book club to the Irishman running abroad. Uh, this this feature interview each month uh, is proving to be lots of funny. Thank you so much for doing this one. It's been such a pleasure to talk to you and being like you're so honest about the whole thing. I know that this is a big, big time for you and probably every minute is precious. So thank you so much for uh, taking time out to do this. No problem at all. My pleasure to be here. Sonia, that's it for another week. Our uh, Jigsaw, our, our chosen charity partner, as we'll have mentioned at the top of the show, the Lent event 
begins tomorrow. Ash Wednesday is tomorrow. The Lent event begins. We'll have explained, of course, Sonia, we'll have explained everything to people in the opening uh, lead into this. Uh, I say that because uh, we haven't figured that stuff out at the time of recording this, but we will by then. And uh, we'll hope that you'll all take part and join the Strava group. Of course, Aoife is a member there and you can keep an eye on what she's doing as she prepares for uh, her Olympic bid. Brian Connolly does production on the show. Tina and Mikey make it all possible. And John Marr does excellent extra research and is hoping to get back uh, on the road himself very soon. Uh, a little bit of planter. Is it planter fasciitis? Is that how you call it? Is that how you pronounce it? Yes, that's it. Maybe that, that's, that's a, a whole separate episode, isn't it? That's one of the more common <laughs> ones. You don't want to go there, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, Aoife Cook, uh, Sonia Sullivan, thank you so much. And uh, we'll see you next week, everybody. Thank You're you. You're welcome. Catch you next week.